Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team draft experts and talent scouts mock drafts and a few shock drafts too nfl total access the podcast is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you guys because we've got many people enjoying a great 4th of July and hopefully you are as well. It's a wonderful holiday. Hopefully you're enjoying good beverages, good food, nice weather. Hopefully it's not 110 degrees like it is out here in Las Vegas, but I'll take the heat rather than the cold that I grew up with in Wisconsin, but that said, hopefully you're enjoying that, but we're going to go guest free today. What I like to do on this podcast once every month or two is take a look at some of the trends that we are finding with teams that have been like very good to the over slash the under at home. I always like to take a look at some of the most and least profitable pitchers as well and try to explain why they have slash have not been profitable. I'm always going to point out some of the outliers as well, and there's one on the Detroit Tigers that is going to be pointed out as well. So we're going to take a look at some trend spotting. I'm also going to highlight some of the teams that have been very good slash not good in terms of being able to cover minus one and a half on the run line as well, and I do think that that is very important to do as well. So we're going to be taking a look at that in segment number two. In the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Tuesday as we touch them all. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GNN underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. And the other way, that is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Really did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we had a great day of baseball Monday, so let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these seems a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. The early slate for the Monday card was on crazy pills, and I was here for it. The Milwaukee Brewers got down 6-0 to in their game against the Chicago Cubs, and they come back to win 8-6. to this is like the second time in three years the Brewers have had a six-plus run comeback at home against the Chicago Cubs, by the way. As Drew Smiley was not smiling about this performance, gave up three runs in three and two-thirds innings. Michael Fulmer did a good job of bridging the gap from there. Two and a third inning scores. Julian Merriweather, though, three runs surrendered in two-thirds of an inning. Mark Leiter Jr. lighters this game up on fire. Two runs surrendered in one and a third innings, and Anthony Kay. 
He came on, he threw six pitches and did not get an out. Meanwhile, for the Cubs, no home runs in this game. By the way, he had a game with 14 runs, no home runs. Both teams were just very good with men in scoring position. Udio Taran, he did not have a great start. He gave up six runs. He was able to complete six. He gave up all of his runs in the first three innings, but certainly not a great performance there. But from there, Joel Payans, J.B. Bukakis, along with Devin Williams, all give you a scoreless setting. And for Williams, and it saved number 18 and 19 opportunities for him. And then the Astros got up 10-2 to on the Walker, Texas Rangers. The Rangers have hit about two-thirds of their games to the over thus far this season. And we're going to be highlighting a lot of those trends like that in segment number two. But for the Astros, they win by a count of 12-11 to 11 after they were up at one point in this game by a count of 10-2. to 2. They completely blow that lead. And as a matter of fact, they were down 11-10 to 10 going into the ninth inning. But then in the ninth inning, they get Jose Abreu to give them an RBI double and Chaz McCormick an RBI double to be able to get the win as Christian Javier... Eh, it looks like he might need to go on the injured list or something. His velocity is down, and he simply did not have it. Eight runs surrendered in four and a third innings, including a pair of home runs. Going deep for the Walker, Texas Rangers. Travis Jankowski, his first home run season, and Leody Tavares, he gets his 10th. And then you have Adolis Garcia go deep off of Hector Neris for his 21st home run season. For Neris, gives up that home run in his inning of work. Phil Maton, he gives up one hundred run in two-thirds of an inning. Ryan Sanic, Ryan Presley, they both complete a scoreless inning. And Brian Rayu, he did give up a run in his inning of work. Meanwhile, for Houston, Jose Abreu all of a sudden has been able to pick it up. That is home run number seven of the season for him. I think he's had six of these in like the last three and a half weeks. So that has been nice. Chaz McCormick, eighth home run season. Yanir Diaz is eighth home run season. And then you have Kyle Tucker going deep for his 13th home run season. As Perez gives up, Martin Perez gives up all but one of these home runs. The Abreu home run, that came off of Glenn Otto. And Otto, he gives up four runs in three and a third innings for Perez. He got four outs. He gave up six runs, all of which were earned, including three home runs. From there, the bullpen actually did an okay job. Rolled to Chapman, a scoreless inning. Cody Bradford, two and a third inning scoreless. But then Will Smith, he gets jiggy with it. Second blow and save of the season. He gives up two runs over the course of his inning of work. Things were a little bit more calm towards the nighttime. The Atlanta Braves, they just keep on rolling. Four to two, they're able to get a W. That's their ninth straight win. As for Atlanta, Bryce Elder, a nice start. Two runs surrendered in six and two thirds innings. The Atlanta Braves, by the way, have the best bullpen area in the National League as well. A.J. Mitchell, Rossi Iglesias, both London scoreless setting, and Nick Anderson gets it out of the bullpen. Meanwhile, for the Bravos, the power just keeps on coming. Michael Harris is second. Two home runs. Eighth and ninth of the season. Those both come off of Gavin Williams, and Williams surrendered one to Marcel Zuna. 17th home run season for Williams. Four runs surrendered, including those three bombs in six and a third innings. Xavier Curry did his part two and two-thirds innings scoreless out of the bullpen, but that was a rough one for the Cleveland Guardians to say the least. The DK Nation write-up pick, that came through. We had the Marlins money line, and they get a 5-4 to four win over the St. Louis Cardinals. By the way, the 20th one-run win of the season for the Miami Marlins out of their 49 wins. Miles Michaelis, he was just left in there a little bit too long. Gives up four runs in six and a third innings. Gave up two in the first, really settled down, and then seventh inning. It's where things went haywire as the Miami Marlins go 3 of 6 with men in scoring position, left one man on base, and won this game by a count of 5 to 4 against a Cardinals team that got 11 hits. As 
Braxton Garrett, it was death by a million cuts against him. Three runs surrendered in five and two-thirds innings, including a home run to Wilson Contreras. Ninth home run season. From there, you had Andrew Nardi give up a run while getting it out of the bullpen, but Tanner Scott, A.J. Puck, Uskabra Zobin, all end a scroll of setting in for St. Louis. Andre Palante gives up a run in an inning, and Chris Strain, pair of outs out of the bullpen. So Miami keeps on winning, and the Cardinals, they're 35-49. and 49. Not typically what you expect out of the St. Louis Cardinals. This is not what you expect as well. The Baltimore Orioles being the number two team in the American League East, but the New York Yankees, they were able to explode for a six spot. They take down the Baltimore Orioles by kind of six to three. Domingo Ramon coming off of his perfecto. I'm not going to call it great. I'm not going to call it terrible. As for Ermon, he gives up three runs, two of which were earned over the course of four and a third innings. He did give up nine hits, but the one thing this Yankees team has going for them, number one bullpen in the major leagues in terms of ERA, Clay Holmes, Tommy Camley, Ian Hamilton, all in a scoreless setting, and Nick Ramirez, one and two-thirds inning scoreless for the Yankees. Trail of home runs in this one as Tyler Wells lets up a pair, Kyle Gashioka's fourth home run season, Anthony Volpe is 11th, and then Harrison Bader off of Danny Columbia gets home run number seven of the campaign for Wells, and he did pitch Wells, giving up two runs over the course of six innings, both were solo runs, but then from there, Yanir Cano gives up a run in two-thirds of an inning, Mike Bauman gives up a run in a third of an inning, Danny Columbia gives up two runs in a third of an inning, including that other home run, and then you had to get a pair of outs out of the bullpen from Chris Valmont, who was able to hold it down, so the Yankees are able to get it done there. I do have to do this a little bit in advance, the Greg Peterson experience, now from Midnight to 3 Eastern Time, so not able to give you anything in terms of Dodgers versus Pirates. As I do this podcast, the Twins are currently up by a count of 3-2 to two on the Kansas City Royals going into the bottom of the 7th for the Royals. Austin Cox, well, he gave up 3 runs of 4 and 2 thirds innings, and now the bullpen is trying to hold it down from there. Jose Cuas, 1 and 3rd inning scoreless, and now Colin Snyder is on to try to be able to piecemeal things together. You did get a form of power for this Royals team with Michael Garcia, who's been quite solid for the team recently, getting his third home run season, leadoff home run off of Joe Ryan, who had a solid serve. Gave up two runs over the course of six innings, including that home run from there. Giovanni Morin and Jordan Balazovic have lent a scoreless setting, so we shall see there. Just getting going in San Francisco between the Giants and the Marlins. Nothing there on the Padres. They were able to leap out to a 3-0 lead on the LA Angels. We'll see how this turns out in the AM, but I made Maria, he gave up three runs in that first inning to Xander Bogarts, who was able to get a three-run homer, his ninth of the campaign. And if you're taking a look at what we've all seen this season in Major League Baseball, and I'm going to dive in a little bit more on some of these specific over-under trends, some of these pitchers that have been very profitable slash not profitable in segment number two, but a relative 50-50 split in terms of totals. 607 unders, 602 overs. That is 50.2% to the under this far of the season. Favorites hitting at a rate of about 57.9 to 58%. 725 and 527, but among these favorites, 184 favorites have failed to be able to cover the run line. Last three days, a lot of favorites have been covering that run line. Last 30 days, relatively on par with what we've seen this season. Favorites hitting at 58% on the money line, 221 and 160, and all but 48 have been able to cover the run line in the last three days. 183 overs, 183 unders. Granted, quite a few pushes involved as well, but 50-50 split there and over the last seven days, we have seen things get a little bit more overwhelming as the country is getting a little bit warmer. 48 overs to 38 unders. That is 55.8% to the over in the time span. Favorites have been having an almighty struggle. 45 and 46 straight up. Now, the good news is you've had all but eight be able to cover the run line that have won straight up, but 
Man, favorite sitting at less than 50% over the last seven days. Things are getting a little bit haywire, and I'm here for it. We're going to be taking a look at the trends of Major League Baseball, some of the most and least profitable pitchers, what we're seeing in terms of totals. Teams that have been able to hit you some overs, teams that have been able to hit you some unders, and some ballpark factors as well. I'm going to try to highlight a few of those next as we do a little bit of a trend roundup on the flip side right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team, draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units returned, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. 
Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. Remember back to love you, Las Vegas, for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Visa Family of Podcasts. We're going to be going guest-free today because it is the 4th of July, and typically a few times throughout the season on this podcast, I do like to take a look at trends, I take a look at teams that are making you some money, teams that are losing you some money. Same with some of the most and least profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues as well. And decide, you know what, with it being the holiday, a lot of guys that are normal guests on the show enjoying their 4th of July and very rightfully so that we would just take a look at just some of what we're seeing in Major League Baseball and some of the guys that are making you and losing your money. And I always do think that it is interesting when we take a look at some of the most and least profitable pitchers because some of these guys are not the guys that you'd expect. Like last year, we saw the rise of Cal Quantrill. There was a stretch where from 2022 into 2023, Cal Quantrill had led the Cleveland Guardians to a 22-3 and record in his 25 starts as since went straight down the toilet bowl as they have now lost each out of his last four starts. So, you always do want to be mindful that these are things that they can very much regress very, very quickly. But I always do think that it is interesting that a lot of these mid-tier starters can oftentimes be some of the most and least profitable ones. Like, right now, the obvious least profitable starter in the big leagues. And, man, hopefully we're able to get more fades in the second half of the season. The Kansas City Royals and Jordan Lyles. If you bet on the Kansas City Royals 16 times when Jordan Lyles has been on the mound, you have won one of those. Now, it was a nice plus money cash against the Tampa Bay Rays, but when you go 1-15, unless if you're getting, well, like 20-1 to 1 on your money, you're not going to be making a lot of money, and guess what? You're not going to be finding plus 2,000 on any sort of a baseball game anytime soon. So, it's a little bit of an issue if you bet on him, and these are numbers via Odd Shark, just so uh, you know where this is coming from. If you bet on the Royals and all 16 of Jordan Lyles starts, and these are all $100 bets, whether you're laying a price, whether you are getting plus money, you'd be down $1,300 as far as this season. And then from there, you do notice a few guys that, you know what, they're on pretty solid teams. They haven't necessarily had the worst results. They've been less than profitable as well. Like, we're going to be seeing on the mound Shane Bieber on Tuesday. If you bet on the Cleveland Guardians and the Beebs and all 17 of his starts as far as this season, you're down $646. A lot of that is just because the Cleveland Guardians have not been able to get him a whole heck of a lot of run support whatsoever. That has been the main kryptonite of him. Blake Snell, he had a really bad start to the season, has become a bet-on pitcher recently with the way that he has been able to perform recently, but in his 16 starts prior to Monday, and I did have to record this a little bit in advance, so I'm not sure if he was able to win or lose that start, you'd be down $798 trusting in him. You've got some of your obvious ones, like if you bet on Luis Medina of the Oakland A's in all eight of his true starts, this does not include the bulk appearances, you're down $550. The... Uh, Oakland A's had their issues when J.P. Sears has been out there as well. You bet on him in all 16 of his starts. You're down $460. Just simple math. When you lose so many more games than you win, even if you are getting plus prices, that's just really rough. But the most profitable pitchers in the big leagues, and this is entering into Monday night. So this is unknown as to the results of Monday night. But Braxton Garrett was number one. 
you'd be up $850 if you bet on him in all 15 of his starts. Christian Javier has been able to get you to the window with his win on Monday. If you bet on him in all 17 of his starts as far as the season, you're up $667. There's always one or two pitchers where, I mean, when you try to explain how this pitcher is like making you a bunch of money, you just have no idea. There's always one, and this is the one for me, Matthew Boyd of the Detroit Tigers, who are not a very good team to say the least. Matthew Boyd posting up a nice rock solid 570 ERA. If you bet on Matthew Boyd in all 15 of his starts, you're up $662. Now, granted, it certainly helps when you're getting a bunch of nice plus prices, what have you, but I mean, still, Matthew Boyd not doing anything that makes you think that they'd be able to make you some money. And you are going to notice that there are some t- guys that they're just carried by their offense, like Luke Weaver, for example. Going into Monday night, if you'd bet on Luke Weaver and the Reds in all 13 of his starts, you'd be up $562. So it does go to show that sometimes... The biggest fade slash the biggest guys that you want to back sometimes aren't necessarily these marquee starters. Now, we have seen some of these guys be able to make you some money, like Shane McClan and Spencer Strider. If you bet on them in all 17 of their starts as far as this season, you're up anywhere between $500 and $535 on each guy. They've both been able to make you some money. Even Garrett Cole in his 18 starts. If you bet on him in every one of his starts, you're up $378. Not something that you're going to be retiring on or anything like that. Once again, all based on $100 bets. But you know what? It is a little bit of something. And if you are taking a look at some trends that we have been seeing in Major League Baseball this season, I do think that it is a little bit interesting as to gauging some of these hitter slash pitcher friendly ballparks. Because I do think that we have it ingrained in our mind that Yankee Stadium is a complete and utter bandbox. It's always going to be one that yields a whole bunch of runs. Meanwhile, you've got some of these ballparks that they get very good reputations as pitchers ballparks. The best home team to the over thus far this season. And these are home games only. That'd be the Tampa Bay Rays, which I always think that the Trop does play a little bit better pitchers. This has just been a case where the Tampa Bay Rays have been very top-heavy with their hitting. They've went through a lot of pitching woes. The bullpen is able to pick it up a little bit, but for the Tampa Bay Rays going into Monday, they had played out of their games at home thus far this season, 29 to the over, 14 to the under, and a push. The Texas Rangers are number two in terms of home over rate. I think that it didn't take a genius to figure that out. Six, 26 overs, 13 unders, and six pushes. That's just simply because the Texas Rangers have been really stinking awesome on offense thus far this season. The Atlanta Braves being up there playing 61.4% of their home games to the over. Once again, not a shock. They have been tremendous there. What is surprising? Detroit. A Detroit ballpark that really doesn't give up a lot of home runs. A Detroit lineup that in general has been about as useful as a poopy flavored lollipop thus far this season. They have hit at home 24 overs and 15 unders. That I do think is a little bit startling. Now, when it comes to some of your best under teams at home thus far this season, some of these make total sense. Like the Cleveland Guardians. The Cleveland Guardians have played 25 unders, 13 overs, and a push. The Cleveland Guardians are currently dead last in the league in terms of home runs. They've gotten really good pitching, number two in the league in terms of bullpen area. Makes total sense. I don't think that I'm telling you some sort of breaking information or anything like that. What are a little bit more surprising is a team like the Philadelphia Phillies. 20 unders, you have seen five pushes in their games at home as well, but just 13 overs, and I think a lot of people forget, and I know that Anthony DeBundo, who is a man that bleeds Philadelphia sports, he does great work at Action Network, he does a very astute job of pointing this out, the wind at Philadelphia it's pretty much second in the league to Wrigley because when it comes to a game at Wrigley Field, you're never going to find a total that's posted up until the AM aside from some of your very, very stray books like Circa might post one up at like 11 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, something like that. But 
you're not going to be getting a total until very late in the night because of the wind. For the Philadelphia Phillies, the wind is almost as big of a deal at that ballpark as well. If it's blowing out, you get some very good hitting conditions. If it's blowing in, it very much plays to a lot of these pitchers. And what I do find is a lot of these teams that have been hitting a lot of unders are teams that they really don't have balanced power. With the Philadelphia Phillies, right now you've got Kyle Schwarber who's been able to belt out 20-plus home runs. Past that, not a lot of guys are going yard. The Toronto Blue Jays have played 60.5% of their games to the under. A lot of people were thinking with the new ballpark dimensions in Toronto that it was going to be a hitter's paradise, which... I feel like when I was taking a look at the ballpark dimensions, I was thinking this might help out hitters a little bit, but I didn't think it was going to be a big bump. I didn't understand where that was necessarily coming from, and that has come to fruition. And that's with Alec Manoa making some starts in Toronto. I hear that he's going to be pitching in the home run derby as a designated pitcher. I was seeing that joke circulating on Twitter as well. I had a good hearty chuckle, but I do think that's something to be able to gauge as well. And then what I think is also very interesting is gauging some of these teams that have been very good to you on the run line as well. Like, you take a look at a recent trend. Going into Monday, the Oakland A's were 17-8 and on the run line in their last 25 games. If you've been backing them on the run line over the last month or so, they have been very profitable for you. Now, they have had a lot of games that have gone a little bit sideways. Like, you notice the Miami Merlins, they just keep continue to win one run games. That is something that you do want to be a little bit mindful of, but there are some teams that you do want to be backing on the money line, and you don't necessarily want to be backing on the run line, and vice versa. I always point this out with the LA Dodgers. The Dodgers last year won north of 100 games. They had 11 games last season, I believe, in which they had one by one run. So, you... Take the run line, you're able to reduce the juice slash get a plus price on the LA Dodgers. Very, very good. If you're laying all that juice on the money line, you're not going to be quite as profitable. Like even this year for the LA Dodgers, they went 46 and 37. Some circumstances where the Dodgers have been an underdog this year, but only nine of those wins have come by one run. The San Diego Padres are a very good example of this as well. They have been a poultry 38 and 46, but the one thing that the Padres have been able to do is they've been able to provide you a way to reduce the juice on a lot of their losses and that only five of their wins as far as the season have come by one run. Meanwhile, with the Miami Marlins, 19 out of their 48 wins going into Monday had been by one run. Not necessarily a team that you want to be taking a look at on the run line, and a lot of this is because the Miami Marlins did enter into Monday averaging the fewest runs per game of any team in the National League. So you always want to be taking a look at this. A team like the Texas Rangers, they have won just five of their games by one run, and they've currently got 50 stinking wins as far as this season. So if you're looking at a team like the Rangers, the way that they've been able to really build up their offense, it yields very good results to the run line. A team like the Tampa Bay Rays, they're a little bit more of an outlier, even though they've been very good on offense. They have had 14 one-run wins. This is always something that you do want to gauge. And then you've got a team like the Minnesota Twins, who in the last 30 days, they have scored the fewest runs per game of any team in the big leagues. Only nine of their 42 wins have come by one run. So every single team is its own living, breathing entity. But I think that you're picking up that a lot of these teams that they're higher scoring teams, like your Texas Rangers, teams of this ilk, they are teams that they do cover the run line a lot more. Meanwhile, a team like the Miami Marlins, in which they're based a little bit more around pitching, they're based around being a little bit more gritty, just playing station to station baseball, a little bit more difficult there. So I did think that today was a very valuable opportunity to take a look at some of these trends, be able to gauge some of these teams, some of these pitchers, what have you, that they've been very profitable slash not profitable with that regard. And I'll get you out on this as well. I do think that we should be highlighting as well 
Just teams in general that have been able to do a very solid job straight up for you as well. And teams that are sort of going in the toilet bowl a little bit, like the New York Yankees without Aaron Judge in the fold. This is going to be something that you're probably going to be hearing in the next segment. They were second in the league in terms of runs per game when Aaron Judge had returned into the lineup on May 9th until he went back out in June 3rd. Ever since then, second fewest runs per game. That is something that you want to know. The Boston Red Sox this year. They've actually got bigger splits with regards to their batting average home to road than the Colorado Rockies this year. And the Rockies have not been able to provide any power whatsoever. It's a big reason why they've been a relatively solid team to the under as well. But I do think that there are some very interesting tidbits. You do want to be paying attention to some of these trends. I know that there's a line that Jimmy Vaccaro made famous many years ago on VSIN. And I mean, Jimmy Vaccaro is just an absolute legend, but he always said that Kid, trends don't pay the rent, and I do think that that's very true, but what you can also decipher is that if you've been fading the Kansas City Royals as well, because I know that it was so popular for the longest of time to fade the Oakland A's, this is something to take a look at as well. A team that entered into Monday 25-59, and 59, just 14 of their wins have been by multiple runs as well, so I do find that to be very intriguing, and a lot of these teams with bad records, they've actually been relatively okay in one-run games. I'm looking at you, the Oakland A's, actually 14 and 17 in one or games thus far this season. So hopefully you guys were able to gather some nice insights. Hopefully it helped you out a little bit in terms of gauging money line and run line as well. Hopefully you were able to get a little bit of something there. And if there's a way that I can improve some of the segments I do like this, send a question, comment, segment idea, what have you, to my Twitter feed at GNNR41. Please do keep in mind, letters DM. They mean it does not matter, especially with Twitter just going off the rails. You probably want to be leaving it in the actual Twitter feed itself rather than going DM because who knows what is going to be happening with Twitter next. But always shoot something over at GNNRS41. I'll do my best to be able to answer that and be able to clarify things. But coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Tuesday as we talk them all. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... 
Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. Everybody here love you, Las Vegas, for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson family of podcasts. Very rare guest-free show today, mainly because a lot of people are away on the 4th of July, and I haven't done a guest-free podcast in I would say about two months, so it's a nice time to be able to give a little bit of a roundup, take a look at some trends, and give a few of our guests a day off on the 4th of July. We're actually going to go north of the border for tomorrow's guest with Andrew Cayley, so that'll be a lot of fun, but hopefully you guys are all enjoying this good holiday, enjoying some barbecue, hopefully enjoying weather that is cooler than 110 degrees like I've got out here, so happy 4th of July to you all, and Hopefully I could give you the gift of some winners. It is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis. 
on every game on the betting board for this MLB 4th of July Tuesday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNN underscore D1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, any interleague games. Those are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So without further ado, let's dive in on this first game of 951-952 on the betting board. It is the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati, and they're on to the road. They're facing off against the Washington Nationals. Patrick Corbin goes for the Nats. It is to be determined who is going to be on the bump for Cincinnati. This is off the board. Fangraphs was projecting Alec Mills before he got sent down to the minor league, so I'm thinking this is going to be a bullpen game. It's looking like Brett Kennedy is going to be getting the start. This is going to be his first major league appearance since 2018. He's a relief pitcher. I don't think he's going to be going very long with it being sort of like Kennedy as an opener and just a tried and true bullpen game for the Reds. I did set them as a minus 133 favorite, so minus 132 or less, I'm going to be one to lay it with the Reds. Plus 134 higher, I'm going to be one to take it with the Washington Nationals. And I did set my total where at 9.5 or less. I'm looking at the over 10 or higher to the under with the Cincinnati Reds. With this being a true bullpen game, again, you're probably going to get Kennedy for like one to two innings, I'm thinking. This is a bullpen that... It's not great. It's not terrible. The Reds entered into Monday right around 19th in the league in terms of bullpen area. I like the way that Alexis Diaz has been able to close out games if you get them a little bit later on. And then when it comes to more of your guys that have been making a reasonable amount of appearances on the bullpen, the likes of Alex Young, Daniel Duarte, Lucas Sims, they've got between about a 275 to a 340 area. Buck Farmer more around a 350. These are not guys that are lighting the world on fire. But you know what? They're relatively decent arms, and for the Washington Nationals, only the Oakland A's have a worse bullpen ERA than them. It has been not good with Joe De La Sorsa giving you north of 5 ERA. Whenever Thaddeus Ward has been out there, that's been terrible. I'm pretty sure he's on the injury list. Jose Ferrar is out getting innings, and for Patrick Corbin, he has not been the same level of fade that he was in the past few seasons. He's actually been able to pick up a few wins, and... If you have backed the Washington Nationals in every single one of Patrick Corbin's starts this year, you've actually made a few dollars because they've been able to give him a little bit of run support, but it's not like he's pitching great. He actually tied for the National League lead with nine total losses in his 17 starts. The only reason why you're making a little bit of money when he's on the mound is because you're getting big plus prices in a lot of these spots, but for Corbin, giving up about 1.4 home runs per nine innings, he's kept the walks down, about 2.6, 2.7 walks per nine innings, but... Only six strikeouts per nine innings, and he has given up at least three runs in three out of his last five starts. Team has went one and four in his last five starts. And for the Reds, this team has not been able to really generate the deep ball. They are third worst in the league in terms of home runs on the road, but they are also a top five team in terms of road on base percentage. As Matt McClain along TJ Friedel are both hitting above a three-hour. Will Benson gets overlooked, but he entered in yesterday hitting for a 391 on base. Spencer Steer, Jonathan India, both have a double-figure amount of homers, both providing at least a 345 on base with Steer at a 375. Tyler Stevenson, 
335 on base. He's been able to give you a little bit of thumping power as well. Ellie De La Cruz has done a nice job moving the line as well. And then for the Washington Nationals, they're a top eight team in terms of batting average. They do a good job of putting bat to ball. They have the fewest strikeouts of any team in the National League. They just don't have a lot of power in general. Dead last in the National League in terms of home runs at home. Lane Thomas, Jameer Candelario combined 25 home runs and you do have Thomas sitting at 300. Victor Robles about a 385 on base, but he's really the only guy on the roster other than Lane Thomas with north of a 340 on base. So it's a little bit of an issue. You don't have a lot of guys taking walks, even though you do have the likes of Stone Garrett, Luis Garcia, hitting for a 275. So need at least a plus 134 to take a shot on the Nats, minus 132 or less. Lane in with the Reds, 9.5 or less. Looking at the over 10 or higher to the under, 953, 954 on the betting board. It is the St. Louis Cardinals on the road facing off against the Miami Marlins as Ace Lucizardo goes. For the Fish and Wayno, Adam Wainwright is on the bump for St. Louis. St. Louis is between a plus 130 to a plus 135 underdog. Between minus 145 to minus 155 is your price on the Marlins. 8.5 is your total. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. And with the Fish, I did set them at a minus 168. If you're taking a look at the run line, you're able to get that at a plus 135. Typically, with a team like the Miami Marlins, I would not be looking to take the run line. I'm willing to do it in this spot. And the reason why, this is just a complete and utter straight fade of Adam Wainwright. Wainwright has made 10 starts thus far this year. Guess how many starts in which he has allowed at least three runs in. You guessed it, all 10 of them. It has been a no good, very bad, terrible year for him as he is getting right around five strikeouts per nine innings. This guy just at this point of his career does not belong on a big league mound. If there is one thing that he's doing, he's not really giving up a lot of walks, but when you have just completely lost all sort of stuff on your fastball, your movement pitches, what have you, and you're up to right around three walks per nine innings, that is a little bit of an issue. He's giving up 14.3 hits per nine innings. Now, recognize that maybe he's been a little bit of a victim of bad luck, the 745 ERA. Maybe he really has been pitching more to like a 6 ERA, but... It has just been deplorable, to say the least. He's not giving his team a chance to win whatsoever, as they have now went 1-5 and five in his last six starts. Meanwhile, for Ace Cesardo, this guy's been at his best at home, and he is coming off of pitching, I believe it was seven scoreless innings against the Boston Red Sox. This guy's been flat out awesome in his last five starts. He's given up a grand total of eight earned runs, just two home runs in that time span, just four walks. In his last five starts, that's always been the issue for Aces Lizardo. He's down to about 2.25 walks per nine innings. He is getting about 10 and a half strikeouts per nine innings. 2.65 ERA at home. And he's backed up by a bullpen that, for the Miami Marlins, it's not great. But it's better than that of the St. Louis Cardinals. A Cardinals team that entered into yesterday averaging 4.1 runs per game on the road. What's stunning, too, is that the Cardinals have a better record when they are on the road than they are at home. Even though they score 5.2 runs per game at home. And 4.1 runs per game on the road. It's just absolutely hilarious. But when it comes to the Miami Marlins, you do have guys like Andrew Nardi, Stephen Okert, AJ Puck that have been able to give you a sub 3 3 bullpen ERA for the Marlins entered into Monday. 17th in the league in terms of bullpen ERA. Cardinals are 22nd. They don't have a single guy in the bullpen that has thrown for at least eight innings that has a sub 350 ERA because Ryan Elsley is currently out of the fold. Now, got a bunch of guys that. Of a right around a four with regards to their ERA. The likes of Chris Stratton, Genesis Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos, Jojo Romero, all of them between about a 3.5 to a 4.5 ERA. Jordan Nix as well, but his team does not really have a true closer. And for the Cardinals, 
to their credit, top six team in terms of home runs on a per bat basis. Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt combined 31 home runs. Nolan Gorman has delivered 16 home runs as well, but for Gorman, over the last 35 days, he's hitting well below a 200. And the outfield has just been a hot mess as well. Alec Burleson has done nothing for the team. Dylan Carlson has been very up and down. Why they sent Jordan Walker down to the minor leagues, I still have no idea, but he's been pretty awesome when he's been up, but he's been up and down as well. And then for the Miami Marlins, you obviously have a guy in Luis Arias who's trying to hit for a 400 this season. He has been really able to help a Miami Marlins team that entered in yesterday, hitting at 272 as a collective at home. Now with the Marlins Day and the Milwaukee Brewers, bottom two teams in the National League in terms of runs per game, but you do have Ori Solaire who's been able to give you north of 20 home runs as far this season. Part of the issue is nobody's really been able to give you north of 10 as Garrett Cooper along with Jazz Chisholm, Brian De La Cruz. They're all between 9 and 10 home runs with De La Cruz hitting about 275. Joey Wendell has been able to hit well above a 300 over the last three days. Jonathan Davis moves the line, but you don't have a lot of power outside of that. But with Adam Wainwright on the mound, I do think that the Marlins are going to be able to bang him around, be able to get death by a million cuts, and be able to get Lazardo what he needs to be able to get this multi-run win. So I'm looking at the Marlins on the run line, getting that plus price. Did something I tell it at 8.4 because I do think that Lazardo going to do a good job against the Cardinals team that has had a tough time scoring on the road. So looking at that run line of the fish, and I'm going to be taking a look at this subtle under on 8.5, 9.55, 9.56 on the main board. The New York Mets at the road face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks as Zach Davies goes for the six. Kodai Senga is on the bump for the Mets. Mets are anywhere between minus 108 to minus 115 favorites. And between even money and minus 105 is your number on the Metropolitans. Total on this game is anywhere between 9 and 9.5. And on the 9, the over is between minus 115 to a minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. On the 9.5, under is minus 125. And the over is plus 105. And with the Mets, I did set them at a minus 144. This is once again... A complete and utter straight fade of Zach Davies. Now, in his last start, Zach Davies delivered a gem against the Tampa Bay Rays. The bullpen could not hold on to it, but I believe that he had went seven scoreless innings in that start. Prior to that, he had given up six-plus runs in each out of his previous three. He had given up two-plus runs in every one of his starts coming off the injured list ever since then. And even with that gem of a start, still has a 7.33 ERA at home. His fielding independence are at least lower than his 6.54 ERA, but I am tending to think that we're going to see a little bit of negative regression from that start as we've got our good friend Mr. Davies still giving out about 4.2 walks per nine innings, still not owning a lot of swing and miss stuff with fewer than seven strikeouts per nine innings, and I do think that this is a good spot to take the Mets. I made them a minus 144 despite the fact that Kodai Senga has had his struggles on the road as well. For Senga, his swing and miss stuff is pretty sinking awesome as he's been able to get about 11 strikeouts per nine innings, but he's supposed to get up a 458 ERA on the road compared to a 264 ERA at home. He's been giving up about one home run per nine innings. His big issue has been walks as well. He has given up about five walks per nine innings going up against the Diamondbacks team that is in the top four in the National League in terms of batting average at home. You do have Corbin Carroll has been dealing with a little bit of an injury. It looks like he should be able to come back as I know that they were utilizing him in pinch hitter, pinch runner situations in that series against the LA Angels. So I'm thinking he should be good to go there as they would have 290, 24 stolen bases. He has 17 home runs a season. Then Lourdes Gurriel, Quintero Marte, along with Christian Walker. All at least 13 home runs, all hitting at least a 269 entering into the series including Marte, a 365 on base. That has been awesome. Geraldo Perdomo has been able to give you a 390 on base. So these guys are doing a nice job 
of inning, but you also have for the Mets a guy by the name of Pete Alonso who's been able to give you 25 home runs as well. He should be a lighter good friend, Mr. Davies, to plays, which the one thing Davies has done, he hasn't given up a ton of home runs, but you do have a Mets team that has had Tommy Pham hitting well above a 300 over the last three days. Ever since he had that Twitter beef with that one dude, I mean, man, this guy's actually been really, really good. Brandon Nimmo, about a 375 on base. You could use a little bit more out of some of the likes of, say, a Francisco Bandor, who does have 17 home runs, but only about a 225. Francisco Alvarez has been going a little bit cold with the bat as well, and for both of these teams, the bullpen does leave a little bit of something to be desired with the Mets. You've got a little bit less depth in this bullpen, as you do have for the Arizona Diamondbacks, the likes of Andrew Chafin, Miguel Castro, throwing there, Kyle Nelson, all these guys give you a sub-3-3 area. Scott McGough has been okay this year, but things are starting to regress there. Overall, Diamondbacks 16th in the league in terms of bullpen area for the Mets. More like 21st, David Robertson, he's blowing a save or two, but all in all, he's been solid. You've been able to have Brooks Rayleigh be able to give you a sub-3 ERA as well, but it's when you get into likes of Jeff Brigham, Dominic Leone and company, where things do get relatively dicey, though I will say Grant Hardwick has honestly not been too bad for this bunch, but I just cannot trust Zach Davies in this spot. I think that he is really going to be giving up some runs in this spot. I do think that Senga going to be a little bit wild as well, so I did set my total at a 9.2. You're at a 9. I'm going to be taking a look at the over, and I'm willing to lay the money line of the Mets. 9.57, 9.58 on the betting board. The Chicago Cubs at third face off against the Milwaukee Brewers, as Wade Miley hopes to have a party in Milwaukee for the crew and the professor. Kyle Hendricks is on the bump for Chicago. Chicago is any 14, a plus 110 to a plus 105 underdog. Meanwhile, in between minus 118 to a minus 125 is your number on Milwaukee. Nine is the total, the over and the under. Any 14, minus 105 to a minus 115. And with Milwaukee, I did set them as a minus 113 favorite. I would need at least a plus 113 to take a shot on the Cubs if you're looking at the run line. You are finding the Cubs if you're looking to lay a run and a half because they open up a few spots as an underdog at a plus 150, so a very precarious spot. This is just a total wait and see for me with regards to this one because if we get the Brewers down to, say, a minus 112 or something like that, I'm going to be willing to lay that. We're about, I would say, three pennies away from me to be able to take a shot on the Chicago Cubs, and I do think that when it's all said and done, I probably do end up on the Chicago Cubs, but just one of those things where we don't really have the timelines out at Vegas books yet, so a little bit hard to make a determination there, but I'm thinking that I'll be able to get like a plus 115 to take a shot on the Cubs as the professor has done one thing very well this season. He has kept the ball in the yard. For Kyle Hendricks, 281 ERA. Swing and miss stuff, not impressive at all. He's getting about five strikeouts per nine innings, but about two walks per nine innings, allowing two home runs over the course of 41 and two-thirds innings, and he's just kept things out in front of him. He has given up three earned runs or fewer in every one of his starts. There have been a few starts where he's been the victim of a few unearned runs. He's been the victim of five in total thus far this season, but all in all, he's done a good job holding down the fort, and this is two very much pitcher contact guys. Wade Miley, he's very much cut from the same cloth. He gets about six strikeouts per nine innings. He's given up about two walks per nine innings. Giving up a little bit more hard contact, giving up one home run per nine innings as far as the season, but it's a lot of grand total of three runs over the course of his last four starts. I don't think this is at all sustainable. And uh, one appearance they made against the St. Louis Cardinals, I actually think that it was a spot where he only went like one and two-thirds heading, so that was very ironic to say the least, but 
all in all, I do think that both of these guys are going to probably be seeing a little bit of negative regression, and I've got a bit more faith in the Chicago Cubs offense. What we saw from the Brewers yesterday is something that we're probably never going to see again. With them coming back from down six runs, as you've got William Contreras, Brian Anderson, uh, Rowdy Tellas, William Adams, Joey Weimer, Christian Yelich all between 9 and 12 home runs. Anderson, I believe he's on paternity leave, so congratulations there. Among these other guys that have at least 9 home runs, only Yelich and Contreras are hitting above a 213 or have above a 291 on base. That is not terrific to say the least. Owen Miller, he's been able to about a 285. In fact, Remiel Tapia, whenever he's been out there, not give you anything whatsoever. So, I mean, everything the Brewers have been trying is a big-time flopperonian. That can be said for the bullpen as well as You've got Elvis B. Joe Piams, good bridge guys to be able to get the ball to Devin Williams. Williams is sub-2 ERA. He has been terrific in save spots this year. Piams, B. sub-3-3 ERAs, but Hobie Miller, J.B. Bukakis, Clayton Andrews. You have no faith in these guys in the bullpen. And when it comes to the Chicago Cubs, Christopher Morella has continued to be able to give you a home run every about 10 or so bats. I continue to be impressed by him. Ian App has been able to provide about a 380 on base and then you just got this big, giant vector of guys that are hitting between about, we're going to call it a 260 to a 278. Nick Madrigal, Dancy Swanson, Jan Gomes, Cody Bellinger, along with the young catcher in Amaya are all in that fold. Morel, he's hitting about a 285. And then you've had Mike Talkman be able to give you about a 360 on base, but only hitting about a 250 for the Cubs. Bullpen certainly did not have their best showing on Monday, but all in all, you've had a few guys like Anthony Kay and Barrelsley do a little bit better after a brutal start to the year. Julia Merriweather and Michael Fulmer have been able to pick it up a little bit as well. Both of these teams semi-comparable with regards to their bullpens. Brewers 20th in the league in terms of bullpen area. The Chicago Cubs right around 18th, so... I do think that when it's all said and done, if I can get a plus 140 or higher, I will be in on the Cubs on the money line. And I did sell my total end at 8.6. I think a little bit of regression comes, but both of these offenses have also had their struggles as well. So looking at the under on 9, and at a plus 114 or higher, we'll take the Cubs on the money line. 959, 960 on the betting board. It is the Pittsburgh Pirates. They're on the road. They're facing up against the LA Dodgers. Luis Ortiz goes... For the Buccos, and it is good old TV determined who's on the bump for the LA Dodgers. This is a game that's off the board, and the reason why this game is off the board is because the Dodgers last night had no idea if they were going to be giving the start to Michael Grove or if they were going to be throwing out their Clayton Kershaw. So that was a big dilemma that they were faced with. But considering the current circumstances for both of these teams, if you do get Emin Sheehan, which is right now looking like he should be in line for the start, I'd be setting the Dodgers at a minus 232 on the money line. I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 125 with that run line. So I would need at least a plus 233 to take a shot on the Pirates with setting my total at a 9.79. And after less, looking at the over 10 or higher to the under. With Sheehan, he has made only a few starts as far as the season, but I've been rather impressed by him. His last start at Coors Field was his worst, where he gave up three runs in five innings, but there's no shame in giving up three runs in five innings when you go on the road against the Colorado Rockies in Coors Field. All in all, he's given up five runs across three starts. Swing and miss stuff, not supreme, but he's not hurting himself, allowing two home runs and four walks over the course of 17 innings thus far this season. And for Luis Ortiz, you take a look at the raw numbers, and he honestly has not pitched bad, but... You're just wondering when the bottom falls out on our good friend and Mr. Ortiz as he's currently got a 4-11 ERA. He has been giving up about 1.4 home runs per 9 innings, which 
I mean, it's not great, but it's not like completely horrible. But he's getting five and a half strikeouts, a four and a half walks for nine innings, a 411 ERA, backed up by a 567 fielding independent. And now you have to go up against the LA Dodgers. The LA Dodgers are number one in the big leagues in terms of being able to draw walks. You've got a Dodgers bunch that you've just got a whole bunch of guys going yard. If it wasn't for the Atlanta Braves, they would right now be leading the league in home runs. Mookie Betts, he has been able to supply 22 home runs thus far this season. You've had Freddie Freeman, 14 home runs, 315 batting average, nearly a 400 on base. Will Smith, nearly a 400 on base. J.D. Martinez, 19 home runs. Max Muncy, 18 home runs. Muncy only hits about a buck 89, but this speaks out good. The Dodgers are getting on base 320 on base percentage now. If you do have a kryptonite with the Dodgers, this bullpen has been absolutely terrible for the team. After a good start to the year, Victor Gonzalez has been completely down the toilet. But Broussard or Gradrall has really been one of your lone constants for the team. The team gets back Danny Hudson. And I will say, Evan Phillips has been not so bad as well. He doesn't deserve slander, but Nancy Almonte, Phil Bickford, these are guys who are posting up north of a 4-5 ERA. They have not been great. The Pirates are 23rd in the league in terms of bullpen ERA in the bottom five in terms of bullpen ERA over the last 30 days. They actually started out really well in the bullpen, but losses of guys like Jose Hernandez, Juan Ramirez have completely killed this bullpen along Tori Moretta, going from a solid pitcher to going straight down the toilet bowl. Yuri De Los Santos, David Benar, they've been able to give you a sub-3 ERA, but you've got Ronsi Contreras on the bullpen. That is not too terrific. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, bottom three offense in the National League since the beginning of the month of May. Jack Swinitsky, 17 home runs, 350 on base. He's been able to do his job. Brian Hayes has dealt with some ailments, so Andrew McCutcheon, he's been able to give you 390 on base. He's been able to do a nice job, and ever since getting called up to the big league level, Henry Davis, he's been able to hit right around to 300 as well, but you've got all sorts of inconsistency, especially with the power numbers. Swinniski, the only guy on this roster that's currently giving you a double-figure amount of formers. Carlos Santana has been a very up-and-down player as well. And then for the LA Dodgers, just with the way that everyone is able to move the line, get on base, I do think that they are going to be able to get to Ortiz. So a 9.5 for less, looking at the over 10 or higher to the under end with the Dodgers. One to lay up to a minus 125 on their run line. We need at least a plus 233 to take a shot on that Pirates money line. Now you might be kidding, should write a pick. This is 961-962 on the betting board. It is the Baltimore Orioles on the road facing off against the New York Yankees. Clark Schmidt goes for the Yankees, and Kyle Gibson is on the bump for Baltimore. Baltimore is between even money and plus 105. Between minus 115 to a minus 120 is your number on New York. Nine is the total. Unders between minus 115 to a minus 120. The overs say between even and minus 105. I did set my total at 8.8, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under. My right of pick, though, that is on the Baltimore Orioles. I set them at a minus 132 on the money line. Now, what I will say for Clark Schmidt is that he has pitched much better recently. During the month of April, he had north of a 6 ERA. It was a no good, very bad, terrible start to the season. But he has ever since then, in his last 11 starts, given up three runs or fewer in all but one of them. So that has been nice to be able to see. But with Clark Schmidt, still not a lot of faith in him as he still for the season has been posting up north of a four ERA. Someone that gets about eight and a half strikeouts per nine innings, given up about 2.8, 2.9 walks per nine innings. And has given up about 1.2 to 1.3 home runs. Per nine innings as well. He has been the beneficiary of being able to go up against some softer teams in this time span as well. And for Clark Schmidt, it has been a case where the team just has not been able to provide any run support for him as well. The team is 1-6 in, 
in his last seven starts with him giving up three runs or fewer in every one of the starts because without Aaron Judge in the fold, the New York Yankees have generated the second fewest runs of any team in the big leagues in that time span. A time span that, as of Monday, was 30 total days. They just have absolutely nobody that's able to get on base for them. The entirety of the catcher's spot, Oswaldo Cabrera, Anthony Volpe, you just go down the list. Josh Donaldson, John Carlos Stanton, DJ LeMahieu, all hitting at 225 or lower. I mean, to the credit of Harrison Bader, Isaiah Kinner Falefa, they've been able to hit about a 255 for this team. And Anthony Rizzo overall for the year is it okay, but Anthony Rizzo over the last three days has been hitting right around at 200. You don't have any thumping power whatsoever. Without Aaron Judge in the full, this team is lost. Going up against the Baltimore Orioles team that's averaging right around 5.3 runs per game on the road. You don't necessarily have that one guy that strikes a whole bunch of fear into you, but for Baltimore, you've had Gunnar Anderson after a rough start to the season be able to pick it up with now a 340 on base. Adelie Rushman, he, along with Anthony Santander, in between about a 265 to a 270, Santander leads the team with 14 home runs. Rushman, about a 375 on base. Cedric Mullins, Ode Mateo, they've combined for about 35 stolen bases with Mullins providing a 345 on base. This team, they just do a good job of being one cog in a machine in which the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And for the New York Yankees, bullpen, I mean, it's been terrific. The Yankees' bullpen has stepped up every single time they've needed it to. This is a bunch that's currently number one in the big leagues in terms of bullpen here. you got a whole bunch of guys like Wandy Peralta, Tommy Canely, Ian Hamilton, Clay Holmes, Michael King, Alberto Abreu, all giving you a sub-3 ERA. And for the Baltimore Orioles, they're more around about 7th, 8th in the league in terms of open ERA. You've got two guys, though. In Yunir Cano, Felix Batista, both with a sub-120 ERA, the best one-two punch, in my opinion, of any bullpen in the big leagues, Danny Columbi, he's been able to give you a sub-3 ERA as well. After that, the likes of Brian Baker, Cianel Perez, have not been terrific, but I do think that Kyle Gibson could be able to turn a good start here. He has posted up a 466 ERA. It's been rough for him recently. Three-plus runs surrendered in each out of his last four starts, but fielding independence more around a 380. His home runs per nine rate is about a career low, 0.70. He's been better on the road than he has been at home. Posting up a 422 road ERA compared to a 519 ERA when he has been at home. In his last start against the Yankees, went seven scoreless against them. I think that Gibson going to be able to do a nice job. I don't think they go seven scoreless, but with the Yankees, I just don't think that they do enough on offense to be able to get the job done. My DK Nation write a pick on the Orioles on the money line. I felt like they should have been the minus 132 favorites of riding with them. And with my total at 8.8, looking at this total under as well, 963-964 on the betting board. It is the Texas Rangers on the road facing up against the Boston Red Sox. Dane Dunning looks to be stunning for the Rangers, and for the Red Sox, it is to be determined. This is a game that's off the board. I'm sort of thinking that we're going to be getting Brandon Walter and sort of like the poo-poo platter of bullpen arms for the Boston Red Sox. And assuming it's like Walter and the poo-poo platter of bullpen arms, I did set the Rangers at a minus 136 with a total of 10.3. 10 or less, I'm taking a look at the over 10 and a half higher to the under. With the Boston Red Sox, they've got bigger home and road splits with their offense than the Colorado Rockies thus far this season. For Boston, they're averaging about 5.5 runs per game at home, more like 4.2 runs per game on the road, and it just feels like everyone remembers how to hit when they're in Boston. Boston is number two in the big leagues in terms of home batting average at a 286 on the road. It falls to a 234. That is a 52-point difference as you've got so many guys like a Alex Verdugo who is hitting well north of a 325 at home, sub 250 on the road. 
Rafael Devers, he overall for the season has been your main manager. He's been able to supply 20 home runs, hitting for a 255 at home. His batting average is a 276, 233 on the road. On base percentage, about 40 points higher as well. You just have this across the board. Mashitaka Yoshida, he's been able to 300 for the season. Has fallen off a little bit recently, but all in all, has been able to do a solid job. And for the Red Sox, your main issue with this team is that you gotta be feeling like it's gonna be a little bit rough on these guys in the bullpen because you've had Brandon Bernardino be able to give you a few okay innings. I like what Chris Martin has been able to do, but with John Schreiber out the fold, that's tough. I do think that Josh Winkowski is probably gonna be in line for a few innings as well, while I am projecting that Brian Brandon Walter is gonna be probably your main bulk guy as he has been able to throw about six and two thirds innings for this bunch. I remember he made like a super long appearance for the team a little bit earlier in the year, and he's been a starter at the minor league level. That, by the way, at the minor league level this far this season, he's posting up about a six ERA. It is very much less than terrific. I do think that he's probably going to be filling a few innings, but I do think that you're going to be looking to quite a few guys that are going to be trying to fill in here. Meanwhile, for Dane Dunning, he has always had some rather demonstrative home and road splits. When he has been on the road in his Texas Rangers career, his ERA has been bolstered by about two points. And with Dane Dunning, he has been able to do a really nice job of being able to keep the soft contact down. But his swing and miss stuff has completely fallen off the table from past years as well. Now, along with this, he has been able to do a good job of being able to contain the walks. Was giving up right around three and a half walks per nine innings the first three seasons at the big league level. That's down to 2.4 this season, but also only posting up 5.7 strikeouts per nine innings. See, home runs per nine rate has been cut in half, but he's got a 270 ERA compared to a 380 fielding. And if any, good news for him, he is backed up by the number one offense in the big leagues with the Texas Rangers. On any given night, they could throw out a lineup where seven out of their eight hitters are hitting above a 270. You still have Corey Seager, who's hitting in the neighborhood about a 350. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous what we're seeing on that front 413 on base. And then you've got the likes of Nate Lowe, Josh Young, both hitting at 272. Young has been able to give you 17 home runs. Adolis Garcia, about a 330 on base, 21 home runs. Ezekiel Duran, hitting above a 310-plus home runs. Marcus Simeon, 11 bombs, 350 on base. They do it against righties. They do it against lefties. So I do think that they're going to tear the Red Sox apart now. For the Rangers, we have seen this bullpen have not so great moments, and they had to use quite a bit of it yesterday against the Astros. But they pick up Aralda Chapman, Brock Burke, along with some like a Will Smith. These are guys who are able to give you a sub-3-5 year. Josh Shaboris is a little bit up and down as well. But I do think that Donnie gives up some runs. But I certainly do think in what is going to be probably like a bullpen plus game for the Red Sox, the Rangers, they get theirs. 10 or less looking at the over 10 and a half prior to the under on the total line. One way up to a minus 135 and the Rangers need at least a plus 137 to take a shot on the Red Sox. 965, 966 on the bank board. It is the Kansas City Royals. They throw the facing off against the Minnesota Twins as Kentamaeda goes for the Twins and Zach Granke is on the bump for the Royals. And the Royals find themselves as an underdog of any between plus 162 to a plus 170. Meanwhile, anywhere between minus 182 to minus 195 is your number on Minnesota. 8.5 is the total over at minus 120 to a minus 125. The unders any between minus 105 to a plus 105. And I did set my total to an 8.2. I'm going to be looking at the under. And if you're looking at this run line of the Minnesota Twins, you're going to be finding it right around about a plus 105 to a plus 110. As long as I'm able to get the plus 110, I am willing to lay the minus one and a half with the Minnesota Twins. And when it comes to Zach Granke, just a case where he is a completely different pitcher on the road than he is at home. And it all has to go back to the deep ball. In his two seasons since he rejoined the Kansas City Royals, he has been giving up in the neighborhood about two home runs 
for nine innings on the road. That is much of the reason why he's got a 7.04 road area thus far this season compared to a 3.67 home area at home. He has been giving up about 1.1 home runs per nine innings. Still not great, but you know what? He's been able to lower that. Does a good job with command. For Granke, about 1.3 walks per nine innings. He's also only getting about 6.3 strikeouts per nine innings. Now, with the Minnesota Twins over the last three days, they are the only team that is scoring fewer runs than the New York Yankees in this time span. So that is not necessarily too great, but I will say this about the Minnesota Twins as well. This team, for some reason, is allergic to hitting on the road. At home, it's not so bad. They've got a road batting average that's hovering right around about a 218. At home, it's more like a 243. Now, the loss of Royce Lewis is big. He was hitting right around a 300. He was really the main guy that was moving the line for this bunch. Alex Kurloff has been able to give you about a 360 on base. That has been something to help this team out. And for the Minnesota Twins, this is an above-average team when it comes to being able to generate power. You do have plenty of guys that have been able to pound the deep ball. Carlos Correa, Byron Buxton, Michael A. Taylor, Max Kepler, Joey Gallo. All these guys have been able to give you at least 10 home runs, but what do these guys all have in common? They are all hitting below a 220 thus far this season, and really none of them have given you an on-base percentage that's above a 310 as well, so that is very concerning. But with the Kansas City Royals, we've got a bunch that is in the bottom three in the big leagues in terms of total runs per game and entered in the series averaging 3.4 runs per game on the road. That is by far the fewest amount in the big leagues. That's by far fewer than the Oakland A's. So that's a big, giant issue. We have Vinny Pescantino off for the season. So we've got two guys in the roster with north of six home runs entering in the series. Bobby Witt Jr., Salvador Perez, a combined 27 home runs. Both of these guys in between about 245 to 255 with about a 290 on base. So you know what you're getting there. And then you just have a whole bunch of guys that do not know what they're doing at the plate at this point. Kyle Isabel, MJ Melendez, along with Mr. Blanco, Samad Taylor, Nate Eaton. These are all guys in a 210 or lower. Jackie Bradley Jr. and Hunter Dozier with such hot messes that they got DFA'd. And for the Kansas City Royals, they've got a bottom five bullpen in the league in terms of ERA. And they just traded away their best reliever in Roldis Chapman. That's not too terrific. Likes of Jose Cuas, Taylor Clark, Colin Steiner, Nick Whitgren. These are all guys that you don't want to be placing any sort of confidence in. They've all got north of a four ERA. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins, this is a bunch that overall for the season, the bullpen has been solid. They are fourth in the league in terms of bullpen ERA. Not having Brock Stewart out there is a little bit of a concern, though, as he was posting up a sub-2 ERA under, and he blew the game on Sunday against the Baltimore Orioles. But all in all, has been able to do a solid job. Griffin Jackson's been able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA. Jordan Balazovic, he's been able to do a good job as well. But I do think that Kenta Maeda going to do a solid job against a Royals team that just has not been able to hit since coming off of the injured list. He has made two starts, giving up a grand total of two runs over the course of 10 innings. Now, one of those starts was against the Tigers, but the other start was against the Atlanta Braves. So, you know what? That's nice to see. 12 strikeouts. In those 10 innings, I do think that Kenta Maeda, he's shaking off a little bit of rust, but I do think that he's going to be able to do so in a very pitcher-friendly ballpark against a Royals team that is just not hitting on the road. So I might tell it at 8.2, looking at the under with the Twins. I'm willing to take a plus 108 or better on their run line, run, laying a run and F. 967-968 on the bank board. The Oakland A's at third faceoff against the Detroit Tigers as Drake Scubo goes for the Tigers and J.P. Sears is on the bump for Oakland. Oakland is any between plus 140 to plus 158. Meanwhile, between minus 162 to a minus 172 is your number on Detroit. Enough is the total over and under anywhere between minus 105 to a minus 115. And with that run line of the Detroit Tigers, you're going to be finding it anywhere between plus 115 to a plus 120. And 
I'm willing to take the plus 158 that I'm seeing right now with the Oakland A's. This is just a little bit of a philosophy that I've got. When you see these guys coming off the injured list, typically I am more inclined to fade because if this were Tariq Skubal and he had made five starts, something like that, I could have a little bit of confidence. And in his minor league rehab starts, the overall numbers for Skubal were good. 12.3 strikeouts and 1.8 walks per nine innings, but he made five starts and he won 14.2 innings. Now, the Detroit Tigers actually back him up with a relatively solid bullpen. The Tigers overall for the series entering into Monday. This is a bunch of, in terms of bullpen area, they are hovering right around 15th, and that is fresh off of a series at Coors Field. So, they've been able to do a nice job there with the likes of Jason Foley, along with Jose Cicerino, Tyler Holton being able to give you a sub-3-3 ERA, Alex Lang has been able to give you some good innings as well. But I just don't know where we're going to be able to get out of Scubo because this is his 2023 MLB debut. And it is against the Oakland A's, an A's team that has hit much better on the road than they have at home. And the reason why they have much better on the road than they do at home is because their home ballpark is very hard to hit in. If you just take a look at Oakland, especially when the marine layer is out during the nighttime, that is just a big, giant issue for you as you've got someone like Anastasia Ruiz. He's one of the best base sealers in the big leagues, been able to about a two fifty eight, and has been able to supply the team with 42 stolen bases this far this season. And you have quite a bit of a boost up for a lot of these guys when they do it the road. Brent Rooker has been able to give you right around about a three forty five on base with 14 home runs this far this season on the road. Someone like Jace Peterson, who hits below 200 at home, hitting about a 260 on the road. Ryan Noda, 430 road on base percentage. J.J. Blade, about a 350 road on base percentage. At home, these guys have a big giant fall off. Now, with the Oakland A's, the bullpen still dead last in the big leagues. It has still been deplorable, but you get Richard Lovelady back off of the injured list. You've been able to get some relatively solid innings as well out of some like Sammy Long. And if you do take a look at the last 30 days for the Oakland A's, not like the bullpen has been something incredible or anything like that, but they're more around 25th rather than being dead last in the big league. So there has been a little bit of improvement on that front. And it's not like the Detroit Tigers are ripping the cover off the ball as well. This is a Tigers bunch at... Right now you've got a pair of guys in Jake Rogers and Spencer Turkelson that have been able to give you right around 11 to 12 home runs as far this season, but you really don't have guys moving the line. Been without Riley Green for quite a while. He's been able to hit about a 295 for the team. The, to the credit of Matt Veerling, he's been able to hit a 275, 336 on base. He's really the only guy that is active for the team as giving you north of a 335 on base. So you've got a lot of guys like an Andy Abania sitting at 235. Spencer Torkelson, Javi Baez, between about a 220 to 230. And then you've had the likes of Rodgers, who I mentioned before. Nick Maton hitting below a 210. So the Tigers, they just have not really been able to move the line whatsoever. And I do think that J.P. Sears, someone who has been giving up the deep ball quite a bit. He's given up right around two home runs per nine innings. He's going to be alleviated of that going up against a Detroit Tigers team that plays in a very pitcher-friendly ballpark. And they just don't launch a ball in general. He's been generally unlucky as for series, he's given up only about 2.1 walks per nine innings. He's getting nearly nine strikeouts per nine innings. I think that he turns a good start. I am actually going to be willing to take plus 158 or higher with the Oakland A's 
with the unknown of what we're going to get in Tariq Skubal in his first start in. I did set my total at 8.1, so looking at the under, and I'm looking at the A's at a plus 158 and not a cent lower. 969, 970 on the betting board. The Chicago White Sox play with the Toronto Blue Jays as Chris Bass and as Luke Lyon sinker for the Jays. And Lucas Giolito is on the bump for the White Sox. The White Sox are underdogs of anywhere between even money and plus 110, anywhere between minus 115 to minus 120. Your number on Toronto. Nine is the total. Under is between minus 115 to a minus 120. Over is between even a minus 105. And with Bassett, I was willing to lay up to a minus 115 with him. Slash a minus 116. The minus 116 that we're seeing. That is pretty much the absolute max I'm willing to lay with him. Now, I have been on the Chris Bassett regression train for quite some time. But I do think that for Bassett, he is going to be able to rebound a little bit. He was incredibly lucky at the beginning part of the season, but it feels like the advanced numbers are starting to catch up and they're starting to get online with what he truly is. A 406 ERA, a fielding independent more around a 483 with eight and a half strike cuts per nine innings. And what I have picked up with Chris Bassett is that he's got north of a nine ERA in the first inning. After that first inning, he becomes honestly a relatively solid pitcher. So if he could just get through the first inning and he's going up against a Chicago White Sox team that, as we know, they are a whole bunch of free swingers, and they are not a team that has much play discipline as they are number one in the big leagues in terms of fewest walks on a per at-bat basis. That could be able to bail them out a little bit. Now, you've got Luis Robero, who's been tremendous this season. 24 home runs. He's been able to about a 275, but he, along with Andrew Benatendi, who's been able to 282. These are the only two guys on the roster with at least a 328 on base that have seen at least 40 at-bats as far this season. Eli Menes is hitting a 275, and, and you do have Andrew Vaughn, who's been able to about a 250 as well, but Tim Anderson is having a terrible year. He and Gavin Sheets hitting between about a 224 to a 234. It's been a little bit of an issue for Jake Berger just being able to get on base as he's been able to supply 18 home runs, only aiming for about a 273 on base as well and for the Chicago White Sox. The bullpen has been able to rebound a little bit, but they're still a bottom 18 in terms of bullpen ERA because they are dealing with the injuries to both Liam Hendricks along Garrett Crochet. Them coming off the injured list was a big reason why this bullpen was able to rebound. Now they've got likes of Brian Shaw, Reynaldo Lopez, and Joe Kelly in this bullpen, who you can't rely upon, along with Aaron Bummer. Aaron Bummer lives up to his name with Gregory Santos, Keenan Middleton. Both of these guys have been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. Meanwhile, you do have a bunch on the flip side in the Toronto Blue Jays, in which you do have Eric Swanson. You've got Tim Mays giving you a sub-3-3 ERA. Jordan Romano has been able to do a very solid job as well for the Blue Jays. Overall, 12th in the league in terms of bullpen ERA. You do want to be avoiding Yimi Garcia, but considering that the White Sox are 26th with this regard, you've got to have your trepidations there. Now, the one thing I will say for Lucas Giolito is that he has been far better at home rather than on the road. At home, Giolito, 236 ERA, and that's a direct reflection due to the fact that he doesn't walk people at home. His walks per nine rate at home is more than half of what it is on the road because he's pitched 49 and two-thirds innings both at home and on the road. Nine walks at home, 20 walks on the road. So very, very stark contrast there. That is a big reason why he's been so much more sharp when he has been in Chicago. But for the Blue Jays, I do still have a belief that this team is going to start to hit and perhaps we're going to see things start to turn around in this series as you've got George Springer, Vlad Guerrero Jr., and Matt Chapman, all between 11 and 12 home runs this far this season, 
all these guys, at least a 332 on base. Bobachet, he's been your main constant. 15 home runs, hitting about a 315. And then all star Whit Merrifield has been able to hit a 280. I bring that up to just rub a little bit of salt in the wound. Hopefully, you enjoyed that. But Brandon Belt, he's been able to give you about a 360 on base. These guys are getting on base. The power numbers just have not been there the way you'd expect with the Blue Jays. I do think that they are going to be able to get to Lucas Giolito. It is prone to giving up the deep ball a little bit. He has given up about 1.45 home runs per nine innings as far this season. So, one to lay up to a minus 116 with the Blue Jays. Did semi toilet at 8.8. I think that Bassett going to be able to find it a little bit more against a free-swinging White Sox team. So take a look at the under and the money line of the Blue Jays. 971-972 on the betting board. It is the Seattle Mariners. They throw the facing off against the San Francisco Giants. It is undecided for the Giants and we've got Logan Gilbert on the bump for the Mariners. So this game is off the board. This is looking like it's going to be a Keaton win spot for the Giants, which means that he might start. There might be a bulk guy, but Considering that we are probably getting some form of win against Gilbert, I did set the Mariners at a minus 106 on the money line, and I made my total an 8.2. In 8 or less, I'm going to be taking a look at the over at 8.5 or higher to the under. Logan Gilbert has been one of those befuddling pitchers as far this season. I always like that word, befuddling, and I do think that it describes Logan Gilbert very well because... I mean, Logan Gilbert has gotten nine strikeouts for nine innings. He's not walking, guys. He's not giving up a whole bunch of hard contact. And here he is with a 419 ERA where things have just been ping-ponging and just going up and down and all over the place on him. That's far as the season. You don't know what form of Logan Gilbert you're going to get as over his last five starts, he has allowed one, seven, two, one, and four runs. So he has been very up and down to say the least. For Mr. Gilbert, he's actually got a little bit of a better road area than a home area, giving up less than home run per nine innings when he's on the road. Going up against the San Francisco Giants team, then he just don't crank out the same form of offense at home rather than on the road. And it's very simple as to why. Oracle Park is the most pitcher-friendly ballpark that you're most likely going to find in the National League. As it's very hard to be able to hit balls out there with the Giants. They have between 1.4 and 1.5 home runs per game when they are on the road at home. This falls to right around one. And for the Giants, they do a very good job with their platoon splits. And this is one of those lineups that I love using this frame. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. You've got Michael Conforto, who's been stuck on 12 home runs for seemingly an eon at this point. And then you've got Lamonte Wade Jr., J.D. Davis, Mikey Stremski, Theria Estrada. All with between 9 and 10 home runs. Only Stremski hitting below 272, and he's sitting at 259 thus far this season. Wade Jr., he's been able to give you about a 415 on base, and the one thing that the Mariners have not been able to do is really be consistent with their batting average. As you take a look at the starting lineup that they threw out there yesterday, they did not have a single guy in that starting lineup hitting above a 254. You've had a lot of guys like Eugenio Suarez, Colton Wong, A.J. Pollock, Dylan Moore, Taylor Trammell, all hitting a... 225 or lower. Now, you do have some power with this team. Teoscar Hernandez, Julio Rodriguez, in between about 245 to 255. They've been able to supply a combined 28 home runs. Jose Calabreo, when he's gotten opportunities, has been able to give you about a 350 on base as well. But I do think that they are going to be able to get to win in this spot. Win was able to emerge with a nice bulk appearance or two to begin the season. I think that he had one against the LA Dodgers. But all in all, I do think that he needs a little bit of seasoning at the big league level. Overall, it is a Giants team that has been able to do a really good job with their bullpen as well. First 45 days of the season, they were dead last in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA in terms of the National League. Ever since then, they have really been number one with that regard. As overall for the season, Giants are currently ninth in the National League in terms of bullpen ERA with Rogers squared along with Camilio Duvall able to throw in there as well. Some of the likes of someone like a Ryan Walker 
that they will give you a sub-3 ERA in this bullpen, but I do think that for the Seattle Mariners, they're going to be able to match this as they're currently 10th of the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA. They've done a nice job with Andres Munoz, Taylor Saucedo, Paul Seawald, guys like this being able to give you a sub-3-3 ERA after a rough start to the season. Matt Brash has been able to do a solid job as well, so this is a circumstance where I do think that there's a little bit of value here on the Seattle Mariners. I did set them at a minus 106 on the money line, and this is a total to where an 8 or less, I'm going to be taking a look at the over and eight and a half fryer to the under 973 974 on the betting board the Colorado Rockies on the road facing off against the Houston Astros Kyle Freeland is going to be on the bump for Colorado and it is good old TV determined who's on the bump for the Houston Astros so this is a game that's off the board right now we are thinking that it's going to be JP France and if it is Mr. France I did set the Astros as a minus 211 on the money line would be willing to lay up to a minus 110 on that run line with a total of 8.6 with an 8.5 or less being a take on the over 9 or higher to the under. J.P. France has been solid ever since he has been called up to the big league level for the Houston Astros. You do fear that there's going to be a little bit of a catch-up in regards to J.P. France not necessarily being your prototypical swing and miss guy or anything like that as he's only been able to get about 6 half strikeouts right? to 3 walks for 9.90s. He's got a 3-1-3 ERA. Given up three runs or fewer in every one of his starts in the month of June, but it's also got a fielding independent of a 481 that does have to have you a little bit concerned. The good news is he goes up against the Colorado Rockies team that has been dead last in terms of home runs per game on the road, and Rockies team that they are always rocky with regards to their home and road splits because they come from elevation. It always causes them to be trying to really try to acclimate, what have you, and it typically does not go very well for the Colorado Rockies. They've got a 278 home batting average. This falls to a 235 on the road. If there is good news for the Colorado Rockies, it is that C.J. Crone is back in fold, and that's big because really the lone guy that has been able to give the team a double-figure amount of homers thus far this season, that'd be Ryan McMahon, who's been able to hit about a 270 for the team. Randall Gritchick, Elias Diaz, these are a pair of guys that may be able to hit north of a 280 as well, but all in all, it's been really rough for the Colorado Rockies trying to mix and match that. Mike Boustakis at the beginning of the season, he's now with the LA Angels. So, yeah, that's not necessarily too terrific. And for the Colorado Rockies, they are now down to being a bottom four team in terms of bullpen area. You've got a few okay pieces in this bullpen as, I mean, Brent Suter has been solid. Problem is, Brent Suter is now on the injured list. Justin Lawrence, he has been able to do a nice job. I like what I've seen out of Jake Bird as well. So, and you do have a few guys doing an okay job, right? And it's really starting to fall off. And now they're trusting in guys like Matt Cook and company. Meanwhile, for the Houston Astros, the one thing that they've always gotten their advantage is a very good bullpen. As they're currently fifth in the big leagues in terms of bullpen, right? You've got a nice three-headed monster in Hector Neris. Phil Maton, along with Brian Abreu, all these guys have been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. Ryan Presley has been a little bit up and down, but he's been able to find it as well. The big issue that you've got for the Astros is, can they duplicate the amount of offense that they were able to get in their game yesterday against the Texas Rangers, or did they use up all their hits? As you've got a pair of guys in Yanir Diaz, along with Mauricio Dubon, who hit for a relatively solid average. With Diaz, hitting about a 265, 8 home runs and fewer than 160 at-bats, but a 277 on base, Dubon, 285 average, 313 on base. Now, the guy that is really keeping up for the team is Kyle Tucker. He's up to 13 home runs thus far this season. You take a look at what he's done over the last three days. He has, in this science fan, been able to give you about a 372 on base. This has been very good for the team. Alex Bregman, after a relatively slow start to the year, he's up to a 345 on base with 12 home runs. It's been a season to forget for Jeremy Pena, but he's starting to pick it up a little bit as well. And for the Colorado Rockies, I just don't think that Kyle Freeland is going to give you the world's greatest effort here. It's actually been far better at home rather than on the road. 
592 road ERA with a 1-6 record in his seven starts on the road thus far this season, giving up north of two home runs per nine innings on the road. Has never really been a big swing in this guy. He's getting six strikeouts per nine innings, 2.9 walks per nine innings, and things have just completely toilet bullet for him recently. In his last five starts, he's posting up a 649 ERA. This despite the fact that he's only given up four home runs in these five starts. He's just getting hurt by death by a million cuts. So this is a circumstance where if it is France against Freeland, I'm willing to lay up to a minus 110 with that answer's run line. Eight after less, looking at the over nine or higher to the under would need at least a plus 2-1-2 to be able to take a shot on the Colorado Rockies. 9-75-9-76 on the big board. The Philadelphia Phillies at the road faceoff against the Tampa Bay Rays. Zach Eflin looks to not be Eflin awful for the Rays. And you've got Aaron Supernola on the bump for the Phillies. The Phillies in between plus 118 to plus 125 between minus 134 to a minus 140. Your number on Tampa Bay. 7-half is the total. The over is any between minus 115 to a minus 120 and the under that is any between even a minus 105. I did set this total at an 8.2. I'm going to be taking a look at the over with Zach Eflin. He has been far better at home than he has been on the road. I do fear that because of Philadelphia Phillies, sort of Noah's arsenal because he began his career over with the Philadelphia Phillies, that that might be hurting him a little bit, but feel much better about backing Eflin at home rather than on the road. I mean, he has recorded the win in all eight of his home starts as far this season with a 2-1-70 ERA, giving up less than a home run per nine innings. He's given up six walks across eight starts at home this far this season, so he's been able to do a tremendous job with that regard, and he's going up against someone in Aaron Nola, which it has been an almighty struggle for our friend in Mr. Nola's. He has given up at least three runs and five out of his last six starts. The swing and miss stuff, it's starting to return. He's up to right around about 8.8 strikeouts per nine innings. That's something that you do like to see. He's never really been a high walks guy. He's been giving up a few more this year than he did, say, a year or two ago with about two and a half walks per nine innings. But all in all, that has not really been the issue for him. He's just giving up a lot more hard contact in general. So it's really caused things to go a little bit sideways. He's given up about 1.5 home runs per nine innings. And Aaron Nola has always had issues on the road. His career ERA is nearly a point higher on the road than it is at home. It's even more demonstrative this year. 340 home ERA, 534 ERA on the road. On the road, he has given up north of 1.6 home runs per nine innings, and his opponent's batting average rises by 45 points, and now you have to go up against the Tampa Bay Rays team, in which you've got all sorts of power. 11 different guys that will be able to supply at least seven home runs thus far this season, including Randy Rosarena, Jose Siri, and Isak Paredes. A combined 46 home runs between these three guys. Paredes, a 370 on base. A Rosarena, a 400 on base. Siri has an SV provided that, but Luke Rayleigh, he's hitting a 280. He's got 14 home runs. Yandy Diaz, 400 on base, 12 home runs. They do it against righties. They do it against lefties. That's tremendous. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, this is one of the better teams in the big leagues in terms of batting average and being able to get on base. But you just have one guy in Kyle Schorber who's been really providing all the big time hits for this team. He's been able to give the team 20 plus home runs. Pass that. You've got Nick Cassianos who's been able to give you 12 home runs. But there's a little bit of an imbalance in power, which is why you've had a lot of guys getting stranded on base. Like Cassianos, who I just mentioned, he's been able to about a 316. You really need Bryce Harper to be able to give you a few homers. Three home runs and 191 at-bats is just absolutely insane. The 394 on base is terrific, but you expect a little bit more than that. Bryson Sutt, he's hitting about a 295. Alec Bohm, hitting about a 275. You've got plenty of guys that they move the line, but you have not necessarily gotten those power numbers. And for Trey Turner, he's been a little bit better recently, but 
him hitting a 250 with a single digit amount of formers. You expect a little bit more out of him as well. And then for the Philadelphia Phillies, bullpen has been all over the place this year. Craig Kimbrell has actually been able to do a very solid job recently for the team, but overall for the season, Philadelphia Phillies hovering right around 13th in the league in terms of bullpen ERA. You've been able to have Andrew Vasquez, Jose Alvarado be the main two constants, in my opinion, for this bullpen. They're both supplying with a sub-2 ERA, but Gregory Soto is up in himself this season. You've had Sir Anthony Dominguez go on the injured list. You've been having up-and-down performances from a lot of the long guys as well. And then for the Tampa Bay Rays, it has been an up-and-down bullpen for them as well. They're 11th in the league in terms of bullpen ERA, but you take a look at what they've been able to do recently. They've been the number one team in the American League in terms of bullpen ERA over the last 30 days. You've got the likes of Pete Fairbanks, Jason Adam, Colin Boucher, all being able to give you a sub-3 ERA, and then they've picked up off the scrap heap. Robert Stevenson, who's lent some good innings ever since Jake Diekman has come over from the Chicago White Sox. He has been tremendous as well. I do think that familiarity is going to help out the Phillies a little bit in this spot, but I like the way that Zach Eflin has been rolling at home, so I did set the Tampa Bay Rays more around a minus 163 on the money line, so I'm going to be willing to roll with them if you're looking at the run line. You are getting it right around a plus 150 to a plus 155. This is a spot where I'm a little bit torn because I find value on both. I'm going to settle on the run line personally, just being able to get that Mondo number of a plus 150 plus. I do think that that's good value. I need at least a plus 130 to be able to take a shot here. So get a look at that run line. As I also did something, I told it at 8.2. Nola just has not been himself, and this Rays team has been one of the best offenses in the big league. So looking at the over and the run line of the Tampa Bay Rays, 977, 978 on the bank board. The LA Angels, they throw the facing off against the San Diego Padres. Joe Musgrove goes for the pods, and Shohei Otani is on the bump for the Angels. Angels are slight underdogs. Between minus 105 to a plus 105, minus 110 to minus 115 is your number on the Padres. 7.5 is the total. Over is any between minus 110 to a plus 105. Under is any between minus 110 to a minus 125. And I did something total at 7.4, looking at the under, but I also set the Angels as a very slight favorite of minus 114. If there is one thing that Shohei Otani needs to do a little bit of a better job of, and I mean, it's like trying to poke holes into something that is about as perfect as perfect gets, but when it comes to Shohei Otani, he does need to reduce the walks a little bit in terms of his pitching performances, and he's been able to do so recently. Two walks or fewer in four out of his last five starts, that is what you like to see, because overall for the season, Shohei Otani, he's been able to get 12 strikeouts per nine innings, his 5.7 hits per nine innings, that is the fewest hits per nine allowed among American League starters. He also does lead American League pitchers with nine hit by pitches. He has been giving up 3.7 walks per nine innings. So he's got a 302 ERA, but a 377 fielding independent. And this has just been the case for Shoyo Otani throughout his career. He has had a little bit more of a struggle on the road than he is at home. At home for Shoyo Otani, it's been absolutely tremendous what we've been seeing out of him thus far this season as he's got an ERA that is hovering in the neighborhood of 235, more like a 403 on the road with giving up north of 1.5 home runs per nine innings on the road. And he goes up against someone in Joe Musgrove who was not himself at the beginning part of the season. He had that Mexico City start. He was coming in off the injured list. It was just a no good, very bad Terrible beginning of the season. He has now allowed three runs or fewer in each out of his last seven starts. Two runs or fewer in all but one of them as well. Coming off of a month of June in which he posted up a 225 ERA. Had seven walks across 36 innings in that month. So he has been able to do a very nice job on that front. And has allowed one home run over the course of those last seven starts as well. Now, for Joe Musgrove, swing him and stuff is down a little bit this year. He's getting more like eight strikeouts per nine innings. Now, the walks, he's always been a relatively solid pitcher in terms of command. He's giving up about two walks per nine innings. I do think that that is going to be a mainstay, but he's going up against one of the better lineups in the big leagues with Otani. I just mentioned him, what he does on the mound. 
at the plate. He is currently hitting north of 300 and leads the big leagues with 31 home runs. And a lot of his home runs, they're not solo shots because you've got Mickey Moniak, who's been tremendous, hitting a 300. At the leadoff spot, he's getting nine home runs at 114 at-bats as far this season. That's been great. Brandon Drury, Hunter Renfro, 14 home runs apiece for these two guys with Drury hitting at 275. Mike Trout, 365 on base, 18 home runs. They do it against righties. They do it against lefties. The catcher spot has been able to come through for the team as well, even with the injury to Logan Ohapian. For the Angels, they've really upgraded this bullpen as well. Chris Savinsky has been able to give you some solid innings. And then you've got the likes of Jose Soriano, Jacob Webb, the closer, and Carlos Estevez, Sam Bachman, all being able to give you a sub-3 ERA. Matt Moore is currently out of the full, but all in all, I do like this bullpen. And for the San Diego Padres, this has been relatively the best bullpen in the National League thus far this season as currently they clock in sixth in the league in terms of bullpen ERA. That is second to only the Atlanta Braves who have really been just dominant thus far this season. But over the last three days, we have seen a little bit of reversal with this Padres bullpen. Domingo Tapia has been missing some time. Steven Wilson is currently out of the fold as well. So as a result, we have seen the San Diego Padres bullpen be more around 21st in the league in terms of bullpen ERA over the last three days. They do get Tom Cosgrove back in the fold. I like what he's been able to do. You do have the likes of Tim Hill, Brent Honeywell, both having mid-threes ERAs. Obviously, Josh Hader has been able to do a tremendous job as well. But for the Padres, just always have trepidation as to whether or not this team is going to be able to get the big hit. They are dead last in the big leagues in terms of batting average with runners in scoring position. Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr. combined 31 home runs with both guys in between about a 275 to 280. You've had Tatis hit well above 300 over the last 35 days. He's really been able to find it. And also Kim, about a 345 on base. Sander Bogarts is hitting about a 250, but he hasn't been himself since the beginning part of the season. And Manny Machado has had a little bit of a loss season as well. 11 home runs, but hitting for about a 285 on base. But what is really killing the Padres, the bottom of the fold. The likes of Trent Grisham, Jake Cronenworth, Rudan Odor, everyone at the catcher spot hitting at 215 or lower. That has really been the kryptonite for this team. So I do think that you've got some value here with the LA Angels. I recognize that it's a little bit of a road spot, but I trust in Shoya Otani, even though he has had a few road struggles throughout his career. So I made the Angels a minus 114 favorite. one to ride with them. Here at a 7.5. Going to be taking a look at the under as well. And we're going to things up with 979-980 on the bank board. The Atlanta Braves at the road face off against the Cleveland Guardians. Shane Bieber has a favor for getting outs for Cleveland. Meanwhile, Kobe Allard is on the bump for Atlanta. Atlanta's anywhere between minus 110 to a minus 108. Seeing minus 115 out there as well. Anywhere between even money and minus 105, the number on Cleveland. Nine is the total. The under is between minus 110 to a minus 120. The over anywhere between even and minus 110. This is a spot where I did set the Guardians as a very slight favorite. This is just a complete fate of Kobe Allard, who in his first appearance of the season was able to keep the Minnesota Twins scoreless. I don't think that that is going to be replicating itself. This is just one of those things where maybe it's scar tissue, what have you. But with Kobe Allard, this guy has not really performed for, throughout his career. If you look through the entirety of his major league career, he's giving up 1.8 home runs per nine innings with a 595 ERA. He had only pitched six and two-thirds innings at the AAA level before being promoted to the big leagues. Last season, when he was with the Texas Rangers, posted up an ERA that was north of seven. I need to see more before I'm willing to trust in him. And for Shane Bieber, this certainly is not the guy that won the Cy Young Award a few years ago. When he won the Cy Young Award in 2020, he was getting north of 14 strikeouts per nine innings with the same walk rate that he's got this season, right around two and a half walks per nine innings. The strikeouts per nine rate has literally been cut in half, but... What Bieber has been able to do is perform at home. 
251 home ERA, 414 road ERA. This has been a very pitcher-friendly ballpark in which he has given up two home runs in 43 innings, and he's been able to keep the walks on as well to his credit, and for Bieber, he is backed up by one of the best bullpens in the big leagues. Now, the Atlanta Braves are up to number three in terms of their bullpen ERA as well. Rossi Iglesias, after he came off the injured list, was a little bit rusty. He's now found it once again. Kirby Yates is giving you a sub-three ERA. Ben Heller, since they have given him an opportunity, he's been solid. Nick Anderson has been able to give you good innings. A.J. Minter, after a rough search of the season, he's been good as well, but you just take a look at this entire Guardians bullpen, and all these guys have been rock solid. James Karinczak, he is currently on the injured list, but that's not necessarily a loss when you've got the likes of Sam Entages, along with Eli Morgan, Trevor Steven, Angel De Los Santos. I'll give you a sub-3 ERA. Savion Curry, Emmanuel Classe, Morata 3-4. I mean, these guys have all been able to step up. The big thing for the Guardians is, can they just find a little bit more consistency on the offense? As Josh Naylor, Jose Ramirez, a combined 23 home runs, both hitting north of a 290 thus far this season. But the big reason why the Guardians overcame their lack of power last year is that you had a trio of guys in Steven Kwan, Andres Jimenez, Ahmed Rosario that all hit north of a 270 last season. Juan is hitting more like a 260 this year. You've had Jimenez hit more like a 245, and Ahmed Rosario hitting in the mid 250s. That fall off has been very big for the team. They have been trying to mix and match at the catcher spot. That has not necessarily been too tremendous as well. And then for the Atlanta Braves, you do have seven different guys with at least 14 home runs. Ronald Cunha Jr. providing north of a four-arm base, north of 20 home runs. Aini has been amazing. Sean Murphy gives you 375-plus in terms of zone-base percentage. He's been able to give you 14-plus home runs. Matt Olson entered into the series with 28 home runs. You just go down the list. Michael Harris has been really good recently after he had a rough start to the season. He's now been able to hit for north of a 300 over the last 35 days. Eddie Rosario, he's been able to give you like eight home runs and is hitting above a 300 over the last 35 days as well. So, I mean, the entire Atlanta Braves team has been able to hit, but the entire Cleveland Guardians team has been able to pitch. And I do think that in this spot, the improved pitching is going to be able to get the Guardians a victory. I do think that Shane Bieber is going to be able to step up, and I think that the ballpark is going to be very much to his advantage in this one. So I did set the Cleveland Guardians at a minus 112. Just have a tough time trusting a Kobe Allard in this spot. So looking at the Guardians on the money line. So I told it an 8.8. So here at the 9, looking at the under as well. And that wraps things up for the Tuesday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what I have before this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. They mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like here on this podcast. By the five-star review, I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. That means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.